I understand my goal. I orient myself to that goal. I come up with a game plan so that when my voice in my head is telling me all the reasons why I can't and shouldn't and have no right to, I still move forward, scared or not. You are listening to the Redefining Wealth Podcast, where we chase purpose, not money. I'm your host, Patrice Washington, and welcome back. You are in for another treat. You know that this guest, all the guests that we bring to this podcast, are going to challenge you to truly redefine wealth and chase purpose on your terms. Now, if you're brand new here, you may not know what it means to redefine wealth, but you should know that this is a community that believes that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. We believe in the original 12th century definition of wealth, which says it's about the condition of well-being. And so our guest today is going to help you be well in one of our six pillars of wealth. If you don't know anything about that, I want you to head to patricewashington.com forward slash start here so you can do the free audio training. It's really quick, really powerful, really impactful, and it's going to break down what the six pillars are are because these are the parts of life, the parts of your life that are impacting your finances even when you're not thinking about it. Now, before I get to today's guest, let's jump in to the affirmation of the week. You know, you gotta speak positivity into your life, into your day. Positivity. You gotta affirm abundance. You gotta affirm yourself to wealth. This week's affirmation is I am unapologetically ambitious. Once I set my mind to something, I am beyond interested in seeing it through to completion. I am committed. I am willing to put in the hard work, dedication, and intentionality needed to bring it to pass. I possess the energy and enthusiasm to continue to go after what I desire, even when it may not align with what others believe I should want or what some may believe I deserve. I do not apologize for wanting more, and I will never pretend that I don't want what I want to please another soul. Declare today, I am unapologetically ambitious. Today's guest is my girl, Lisa Bilyeu. She's the co-founder of Quest Nutrition, the billion-dollar brand that grew 57,000% in its first three years, as well as the co-founder and president of Impact Theory Studios, a revolutionary digital-first studio that produces wildly entertaining original content focusing on themes of empowerment. As host of her digital series, Women of Impact, which I have been a guest on twice, yeah, buddy. her days having real, uncensored conversations with the most inspiring women. And through Impact Theory, she, along with her husband, Tom, have built a global audience of over seven and a half million. And today she is here. She's back on the Redefining Wealth podcast to talk about her new book, Radical Confidence. 
Welcome back to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Lisa. Ah, Matrice, I love you so much, girl. I'm so happy to be here in case you can't tell by how excited my tone is. (laughs) I love you too. I love you too. And I am so, so proud of you. Oh, thank you, girl. Oh my gosh. Lisa, you wrote a book. It's insane. I can't believe I wrote a book. (laughs) Like you actually did it. And I remember first seeing the announcement that you mm. that you were going to write a book. And I think I texted you like, okay, girl, do your thing. Congratulations. Okay. Book. Why after all of these successful interviews on women of impact and all that you and Tom are doing with impact theory, why was it time to put all of the good stuff in a book? Ah, oh, so I'm gonna be so real with you. I was a pro, I had never dreamt of being an author ever. It was just one of those, like, I, that's not me. I'm not good enough to be a writer. So it didn't, like, even someone with a growth mindset, it didn't even dawn on me that I should write a book. Didn't even dawn on me. I, I don't see myself as an author. I didn't consider myself as an author. So I didn't even think about it until during the, um, when COVID first hit, um, a literary agent reached out to Tom, someone that he already knew. He was like, so would Lisa be interested in writing a book? So Tom comes in my office, I'm working on my computer and he's like, babe, I can't believe like they just pinged me and said, do you want to write a book? I was like, oh, that's sweet. And I go back to work and he's like, "Um, and you know, you know, my husband as well. So he's like, what, what? Like, are you paying attention? Like, did you just hear what I said? Like someone just offered you a book. And I was like, oh, but babe, thank you. That's very sweet. I I literally, it didn't even, I didn't even consider it. And he was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why are you being so nonchalant about it? And I was like, oh, but babe, who would buy a book from me? And like, those were the first words that came out of my mouth. No. Yeah. Lisa, I cannot even believe that. I Like, I'm listening to you, but I'm also very aware of our private conversations Mm. and sitting with you at dinner at your house and being on a panel with you and hearing you speak on stage and twirling you around the airport like there's a, which is a true story about that's the actually true people that's a true story <laughs> but like every time I'm around you I glean so much mm. wisdom from you I couldn't imagine you not eventually having a book it just thank- wouldn't even seem right well thank you for saying that because I think it's so important that we don't see ourselves the way other people see us And I think that we all have a voice in our head that doesn't necessarily see clearly the situation, right? And the voice in our head, I call the ego, right? The the B-I-T-C-H, if you will, um, Mm -hmm. in your head. And so the ego, the voice, is there to protect you. It doesn't want you to embarrass yourself. It doesn't want you to hurt, to be um, have shame, or you know. So it is there in your in your mind, telling you why you should do all these things that maybe you want to do. And so it didn't even dawn on me when this, when I got the opportunity, it was so instinctual that the 14 year old girl inside me, the girl that has never believed in herself, the girl that got bullied and picked on for her looks and for her name and for the way that she talks, like that's the sort of thing that has stayed with me as an adult. And so no matter how much growth you do, um, sometimes that insecurity comes out. Now here's where I am in the stage of my career. I don't judge myself for having the thought. So the second I said that out loud, literally the second those words came out of my mouth, girl, I turned around, I was like, oh, bless the 14 year old still there. And I just gave myself the grace to have that little thing show up again. 
Because here's the thing, I've learned to just say, you know what, maybe she's here forever. And maybe this insecurity is here to protect you, right? We're saying the ego so you don't embarrass yourself. Mm -hmm. So what is she actually trying to tell me? So a chapter in my book is make a negative voice your bitch and your BFF. So what does that look like? If she's mean to you all the time, how do you turn that voice into something productive, something that can help? So when I got approached to write this book and that negative voice came out that was like, who the hell do you think you are to write a book? I just didn't judge myself. I paused and I said, what are you trying to tell me? And in that, it was that you've never written a book before. That's why I'm scared. Oh. And here's the truth. I haven't written a book before. So she's right. The negative voice, the thing that's inside my head telling me I'm no good. She actually has a point. But where it used to paralyze me, where it used to make me so fearful to take the step forward. Now I say, so let me listen. What can I learn? And in listening to that negative voice and hearing her say that you're no good, that you've never written a book before, what she's actually saying is you need to get prepared. Mm. Great. Thank you. Now I can take that lesson and actually use it for good. So how can I learn? All right, Lisa, you've got a lot of friends that are written books. So write a list of questions. All the fear that you may have, like, let it speak. Well, what are the surprises that you don't know? Cool. Let me write that question down. What are the surprises that I am not going to see coming? What's the other fear? Um, what if the book tanks? Okay, great. Write a question. What would you have done to my author's friends? What would you have done if the book tanked? What would you have done if it succeeded? And get their opinion. And now what I'm doing is I'm preparing myself. I'm practicing. I'm doing everything I can to step up to the plate. But that doesn't mean I'm going to um, hit a home run. I may swing and miss. But you know what? That's okay. I still stepped up to the plate. And so that, that's basically why I'm like, of course she needs to write a book. I mean, just that gem alone. And I, and there's so many gems in the book, but that gem alone is, is it's okay to acknowledge the ego, the voice in mm -hmm. your head that is really there to design to keep you safe. But then understanding like, okay, why are you here? And how can I help you calm down? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How can I, and I love that you especially referenced that 14 year old girl, right? Because for me, it's the eight year old version of me. There's yeah. so many, I remember things that darn near every year in my adolescence, there was something that was heartbreaking or in some form or fashion, but reminding the eight year old version of me, for me, a lot of times is that she's safe, mm. that you're okay that you're enough, that you are beautiful, that you are smart enough, like that is so true. And then giving her evidence of that, yeah, like just those reminders. And I love that the evidence can be the preparation. Like, okay, this is what we're afraid of, cool. Now let me seek out the support or go get the answers that I need in order to minimize, you know, that, that loud voice in your head. Yeah, because like, so good. there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee on anything that we all do to be a success or not. Like, that's just the truth, no matter how much like background and history you have. So yes, I've helped build a billion dollar company and I've built impact theory, but that doesn't mean the book's going to be a success. And so I would be 
um, foolish to go in going, yeah, I can write a book. I built a company, right? It's just, it's just foolish because the truth is, yes, you can take skill sets with you. Yes, you can learn. But how do you prepare to set yourself up with um, the most opportunity and success you possibly can? Because then, even then, if you then fail, it's like a kind of a safety net for me. Because you know what? If this book doesn't do well and I fail, I'll just go, did I try my best? And we all know, right? We all know if we've actually tried our best, you can convince other people, but you can't convince yourself. So it's like, did I actually try my best? Did I go in there with my full intention, with pure of heart, being the student, being the learner? And if the answer is yes, 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 and the book still fails, then to be honest, I've left everything out on the table. And now in that moment, I can say, all right, Lisa, now's your chance. You can either learn the lessons and write a second book and use those lessons you learned to see if it actually helps. And in that second book to see if it's a success or you can actually say, I didn't enjoy it or maybe I did enjoy it. And, you know, the failure has taught me X, Y, and Z that maybe writing a book isn't for me and that I did pour my heart and my soul into it. And you know what? I'm actually not willing to do that again if I get the same result. That's okay. Yeah. I have now taken that opportunity, whether it's a success or failure or not, and I've used it as a strength because every time girl, I move forward, whether I fail or fall or not, I cannot let it stop me. And I ha- and the only way to not let it stop me is to start it with every intention, but knowing that if the worst case scenario happens, I've somewhat thought through it so that I can get back up and now I'm priding myself not on the person that fails not on the person that falls to their knees but you better believe it's the person that when I fail I get back up when I fall I get back up when I do you know when I mess up I get back up mm-hmm. no one can control that no one no exterior forces no no one else except me and that I find so freaking empowering Okay, you guys hear why I love this woman. Hmm. This is why I love you. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about when you shared with my Purpose to Platform community, you were their commencement speaker, Mm -hmm. um, one of those cohorts. And one of the things that I always say in Purpose to Platform is why are you beating yourself up about something you've never done before? Oh, yeah. Right? It like, I should be further along. You're starting a business for the first time. Why are you beating yourself up thinking that you should have this all figured out in just 12 weeks? Mm-hmm. Like the, These weeks and these modules and this information is here to provide you with awareness, right, of what the journey can look like. Why? But it's not until you start to take those steps for yourself that you can assess, do I even like this? Mm-hmm. Is this the way that I want to do this? Do I want to take the feedback from what I've experienced and apply it and do it again in a different way or you know repeat it or is it even a thing for me we don't know until we allow ourselves to get in it and experience Mm -hmm. it because you would never know how powerful you could be as an author if you just stayed in the background and went "Mm, that's from my my other friends can write Mm -hmm. books right i believe like you know lisa I want to get to the end of this life and know that I tried everything I could, whether I failed or not, or whether, and the thing is, I'm not a failure because a project did not work out. It's a project that did not work out as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. 
I literally, as I was writing um, the book, there was a line where I was like, you know, look, a, a failure doesn't, you know, say anything about you. And I wrote that line. I was like, a failure doesn't say anything about you. And then I paused and I was like, oh, no, actually, that's a lie. A failure does say something about you. It says that you take your life seriously and you're willing to try. That's what a failure says about you. Mm. Now, if we can just tell ourselves that every time I fail, I did it because I care about myself. I did it because I care about my life. Isn't that such a beautiful way to think about things? Because let's face it, failures suck. No matter how you shake out a baker, no matter how many times you fail, no matter how, like, it doesn't go away. But there are ways that you can mitigate it and you can remind yourself of why you did it in the first place. And those are the pivotal moments. Those are the moments where some people never try again, ever. And then other people go, this is the best thing that ever happened because I've learned my lesson and now I'm going to take that lesson with me. And you can't take it, you can't take that away from someone. Like a lesson someone's learned, you cannot take it away from them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that lesson is yours forever. That is so true. Yeah. Okay. So what is radical confidence and have you always had it? So radical confidence, here's the thing. Yeah, yes and no. It's like a kind of bit no. Um, <laughs> radical confidence came from everyone looking at me and going, Lisa, you're so confident. How can I get your confidence? Like I, I want your, and I was like, who are they talking to? They said Lisa, but surely they don't mean me because you better hear the voice in my head. If you, if I had a loudspeaker or like one of those transcriptions of like everything my mind was saying to me, you guys would be like, I can't believe she talks that badly to herself. Now, here's the thing. I don't mean to. I yeah. don't mean to. But the voice is always there telling me when I'm messing up. And so I go, okay, you know, um, how do I not let this stop me? And that was the thing. People saw, like when I had to process, why do people think I'm confident? And it's like they saw that I always show up. And I was like, they perceived that as being confident. But the truth is, I'm freaking scared to death. I have no idea what I'm doing. But you know what? I say, I understand my goal. I orient myself to that goal. I come up with a game plan so that when my voice in my head is telling me all the reasons why I can't and shouldn't and have no right to, I still move forward, scared or not. And what I realize is that's radical confidence. It's not doing it blindly and saying, oh, you feel the fear and do it anyway. No, no. When you have petrifying fear, telling someone to do it anyway doesn't actually help. But what does help is saying, hey, you know, you're really petrified to go on stage. What I'm going to tell you to do today is find a hype song. And you'd be like, what do you mean? That doesn't help me get on stage. Yes, it does. It's one step towards it. Find a hype song. And so now it's easy. You can find your hype song. That's one step into your radical confidence of stepping on stage, right? And then the next step would be, well, do you have your, your speech prepared? Mm -hmm. Have you practiced it? Have you read it out loud? How many times have you done it? How many times have you listened to yourself? How many times have you critiqued yourself? Because if you want to get on stage and you're petrified, one of the things that will help is get prepared. Mm -hmm. So now you're not getting on stage yet. I haven't even mentioned getting on stage. All I've said is, have you practiced your speech to yourself to, in the mirror? That's what radical confidence is. Taking a set of tools, having a goal and using that set of tools to move forward, even though you may not feel great about it. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's so good, Lisa. And I completely identify with that. Like, you know, people seeing me and saying, oh my gosh, you're so confident, even on stage. And, and 
you know, I always say this before I get on stage, my stomach is turning. And I mean, my heart is racing. My pits may be sweating. My teeth may be chattering, knees knocking, but I'm so committed to what I feel called to do, which is deliver right mm -hmm. to the audience and especially respect whoever, you know, invested in bringing me out. But the confidence is really in the consistency in which I have shown up as a speaker. Mm -hmm. If like the confidence has been built because I've seen the impact my speaking has had on people, but that doesn't mean that I just jump on the stage and like, you know, don't, don't think anything about it. My fear looks different, right? Mm -hmm. Than other people. Mm -hmm. So just this past weekend when I was speaking, one of my girlfriends was like, did you update your slides? And I was like, I don't have slides. <laughs> and she's like, did you tell them you're like, did you do the thing and this thing and that thing? And I was like, I don't want you to think that I'm like lackadaisical. I just process inside. So in my head, I'm seeing myself walk back and forth across the stage. I'm, I'm seeing myself make these certain points. I'm visualizing the entire talk from beginning to end but I had to learn what worked for me mm -hmm. because when people would try to force me to go on stage and speak as my practice, it would like, like wear me the hell out. Like I, it would just petrify me. I, and it's really weird. And even in media, I tell people like with brand partners, I'm not going to practice with you. Like now I've just learned to say, no, I'm not going to practice with you. If you want me to truly show up and deliver, you let, you have to let me go through my process that I've identified that helps me come out with confidence. If I do it your way, you're not going to get the best version of me. Every other month, I attend a Super Friends brunch where we talk about everything from purpose to pursuing new dreams and even menopause. Yep, you heard me, menopause, because if you're over 40 and your girlfriends don't keep it real, I don't know what to tell you. But we have these important conversations because how can we redefine wealth if we're not keeping up with our hormonal health? Now, we discovered Happy Mammoth. It's the company that created Hormone Harmony, and it's dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for us. They make no compromise when it comes to quality. Hormone Harmony contains herbal extracts called aptogens that help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally. And any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take Hormone Harmony. It's perfect for hot flashes, night sweats, menopause-related brain fog, sleeplessness, occasional bloating and gas. You get the picture. Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. And for a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com by using the code RW at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RW for 15% off. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
Oh, God, that's so strong. And what I love is the individuality. And that's really what I really try to echo in the book, because it's like, look, this is what worked for me. But what is that version for you? Because 100%, it's like, when we try to do things like everyone else, I think that's part of the problem, right? We try to mimic because let's, like, I've seen you speak, girl. I remember the very first time I saw you speak and I didn't, we didn't know who each other were, right? One no. of our friends invited us on this panel. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, lovely to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And then I hear you, so I was like, who the hell is that? I literally was like turning around because I couldn't quite see you because someone else was in the way. And I was like, you were just so freaking fire. And now if I try to look at you, right, and just everything that you said and mimic you, I would crash and burn. If you're just like, oh, no, I don't have slides. And I, I just visualize. I literally, I would, if I did that, I would go on stage and I would freeze. I'd be like, Patrice Washington told me to do this. And I don't know <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> right? So, but what I love is the, the individuality of why you do it and then allowing people to adopt what their version is. And I don't think that that comes to confidence, but also just leaning into what works for you. Because like the first time I got in front of the camera, my husband had already been on the camera for years and years and years. And he was like the, one of the top podcasts and like the, our top YouTube channels. And so I was just like, well, just copy him. Right. And of course, I totally failed because I'm trying to think to myself, what would Tom do? Mm. And the second you're trying to think about what someone else would do, now you're outside of yourself. Now you're not being authentic. And here's the thing people sense it. If I'm being authentic yes. and I mess up, I don't think you guys would judge me. But if I'm trying to copy someone and I mess up, you may be like a little uncomfortable. You may like cringe a little. But it's like when you can mess up it as yourself, and look, this takes time, 100%. And that's what we're kind of talking about as well, right? You got to the point where now you can tell your partners, I'm not practicing. But that takes time, that takes repetition, that takes consistency, that takes like one brick stacking against the next so that you have your strong house that no one can come and blow down. It's like you've already built that, but it takes time. And we don't give ourselves the grace to get that timing so it's like right now I mean um I assume you know Lisa Nichols like she's so yeah. amazing and one of the quotes that stuck to me to this day she said it before I had a growth mindset and I remember just sitting in the audience my husband was interviewing her I didn't know who she was and I'm sitting there looking at her and she's like she's making the whole audience cry with how motivating she is. I mean literally there's not a freaking dry eye in the house mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there going, she's so amazing. Like, I don't know how she does it. She's so amazing. There's no way like, you know, you kind of like in your head, I'm never going to be that good. She's so amazing. And as I'm thinking this, she turns around and she's like, stop making me extraordinary to let yourself off the hook. Stop making me extraordinary to let yourself off the hook. Because here's the thing. I've seen you speak, girl. I know how good you are. And I never want anyone to ever watch you and dismiss themselves because they've made you extraordinary. Yeah. What you've done is you've put in the time, you've put in the effort, you've put in the work. And, you know, my favorite movie is Karate Kid, wax on, wax off. You've spent years upon years upon years practicing your art and your skill. And so it's actually a disservice to somebody else to see you and dismiss you as just being extraordinary. Oh, Lee, uh, you know what's amazing about this, Lisa? What? 
in 2014, I actually hired Lisa Nichols as my coach. And she is the person who taught me how to own my story. And I just love that you you say that because there were so many nuggets. I didn't necessarily learn my style of speaking from her, Mm -hmm. but just the ownership of my story. Because up until that point, I was not being fully honest about my entire journey, like losing Mm -hmm. everything. I was Mm -hmm. like piecemealing things and not comfortable with saying it out loud. And Lisa was the person who just, I mean, one line she was like you gotta own it own the whole thing and it changed Mm -hmm. my life it changed my life she had that conversation with me about two months before i went on the steve harvey show and that was the first time i went on and because i told the real story i believe that's what endeared the audience to me and that is what it was supposed to be a one-time interview but it ended up going weekly for four years Yeah, it went weekly for four years, but I love that. And I know, I mean, and shout out to Lisa Nichols. So very, very powerful. Um, Oh, so many nuggets. Okay. Now, let me get to some juice, some juicy nuggets from the book, because I want to make sure like we really pull that out. So in the book, you immediately jump into what you call the purgatory of the mundane. Yeah. And you just talk about how so many women are stuck in this place in life. I just want you to elaborate like what it is, how you may have gotten stuck there um, and how we find our way out of this purgatory. Yeah. So for eight years, I always kept telling myself, oh, well, you do this when, when your husband's happy, when you make enough money, when you have enough time, when you have the resources, right? It's always the when. And so every day for like eight years, I made small little choices to not speak up about my unhappiness, to not ask for more. Those are little, little choices that I made every day. I made little choices to distract myself. It's what I call in the book, the squirrel, right? Like, have you ever seen that movie with a dog and it's like the squirrel? It's a distraction. How many distractions, how many squirrels do we have in our lives that we use that we don't realize, but actually the total distraction from our lives, from not addressing if we're happy or not. And so I didn't look at these things. I wasn't realizing that I was, for instance, because I was a stay-at-home wife and I didn't have really any mission or passion, I took all my chores and I spread them out throughout the days. So it was like, I would do grocery shopping one day. I would do bulk cooking the next day. I would clean the dogs the next day. I would wash the car the next day. And the reason why I did all that is because I didn't want to stand still for a minute to actually look at my own life. And it was that, that when I look back, I call, why, why did I stay there? Why didn't I speak up? Because I'm quite like a opinionated person. And so I really think it was, I was using distractions to dismiss my unhappiness. I had the belief coming from a very traditional Greek Orthodox family that being a housewife and supporting my husband is actually where I would end up anyway. So I never questioned it. And I never hit rock bottom. Now, when I started to think about all the amazing women I've interviewed on my show, Women of Impact, right? So many people, including yourself, you've got a story where it's so freaking heart-wrenching that you're just like, and so I had nowhere else to go. When I hit rock bottom, so many people I've heard say this, I had nothing else to lose. 
And that's where they make the pivot. That's where they roll the dice, if you will, and bet on themselves. But I never hit rock bottom. And so every day, I was reminding myself how grateful I was to have a husband that loved me. Every day, if that distraction even remotely started to whisper in my ear, and we all know that whisper, mm -hmm. I would remind myself that I'm grateful for having a roof over my head. And so I was using gratitude as a beautiful, powerful tool at first to tell myself, hey, Lisa, you're doing this for the greater good. You can do it for a year. And day by day by day, those little choices got me and led me to live in the purgatory of the mundane, where my life was just mundane enough that I was stuck. And I never felt like I had the right to ask for more. And every time that whisper came in, I would say, how ungrateful are you? How ungrateful are you, Lisa, that you've got a husband that loves you and you're asking for more? You know, some people don't ever get that. How ungrateful are you, Lisa? You have a roof over your head and you're saying that you're unhappy. And so now the gratitude that had been serving me to get on my journey in the first place had now actually kept me stuck. And I want to ask your audience, how many freaking people right now do that? Subconsciously, we use mm -hmm. gratitude, but it's dismissing the parts of our lives that are unhappy. And what I realized is, is who on earth tells us that if we're happy in one part of our life that we can't ask for more in others? Like, where did I even get that, that message from? And so like writing this book and part of that though is really saying you can be overly like in love with some parts of your life and completely unhappy on others. And you have every freaking right to ask for more in the areas that don't serve you. Oh, absolutely. And I believe that that purgatory of the mundane, you know, can creep up even as purpose evolves. So you yes. can be, like you said, in, in thriving in your career and then feel this unsettling feeling in other pillars, in other yes. areas of your life. And that sense of gratitude is so sneaky, right? Like on one side, it's really powerful to help remind you of like, yes, all the things like, yes, we're grateful. But I, I remember feeling like that, Lisa, just last year, like when I turned 40 and I started to question everything, you know, you, you hit that big 4-0 as a woman for many women. And it's like, let me do a self-assessment and feeling like I have this thriving career. I have a wonderful team. I have great friends like yourself I, that I know I can text and call if something really goes down. You know, I do. I, I have you know, a, a great life partner, I have a wonderful child and still feeling like, but there's more, but there's more. And having to really sit with that and then be honest with myself about the fact that I deserve to dream a new dream, hmm. the original dream that got me here. I am living so much of what I prayed for and what I dreamed of, yeah. but it's okay for the dream to evolve and what I say, what I've shared on the podcast is that I had to get radically honest with myself mm -hmm. and then get the confidence to follow through yeah. with what I found when yeah. I was being honest. And for me, that has led me to separation and, and you know this and getting a divorce, but it is so true that I feel that purgatory of the mundane 
your life can look like glitz and glamour. Like you don't even need to just be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you don't need to be a stay at home wife or a stay at home mom or not happy in your career. It can show up in other parts of your life. And I just, I love this idea of allowing yourself to really take a, take a look at that. Hey there, if you're brand new to the Redefining Wealth podcast, maybe you've been thinking to yourself, well, what are the six pillars? What's the actual breakdown and what does that all entail? Well, I broke it all down for you in a free audio training called The Truth About Wealth. I want you to go check it out at patricewashington.com forward slash start here. The Truth About Wealth is gonna walk you through what each one of the six pillars are, but it's also gonna help you assess where you are in your journey so that as you continue to listen to the podcast and lean in a little bit more to this idea of becoming a purpose chaser, you know exactly where you need to start. So head to patricewashington.com forward slash start here and get your free audio training, The Truth About Wealth, today. I love the way that you've laid the book out. You know I'm an affirmations girl. I know you are, I know. You know I opened it and I was like, oh girl, this is right (laughs) up my alley. I'm such an affirmations girl. And I love that with radical confidence, like one of the first lessons is your dreams are a gamble, bet on yourself. And I instantly resonated with this because even yes, career wise, all those things I've had to bet on myself. But as someone who's been in a relationship with one person for half of my life, this is a damn gamble. (laughs) Here's the thing, girl. If you're not willing to gamble on it, why on earth would anyone else, right? It's like, but a lot of us do. We look to other people to be like, you're going to give me a chance and blah, blah, blah. But like, are you actually betting on yourself? Are you actually saying what you want in life and then moving towards it on a consistent basis? That's what it means to bet on yourself. And if you're not willing to, then of course no one else is going to. So that's a decision you make. I am going to bet on myself today. Okay, now what does that look like? That's where you start to put in the plan in place. But it all starts with making that decision. And part of me, you know, it kind of going into another chapter um, where I start to talk about being the hero of your own life. Because that, so, you know, you said that you've been, you'd been with your partner for so half of your life. Um, me and my husband are about to celebrate in July our 20-year wedding anniversary. Uh-huh. And so, but so much of my life, because I met him when I was young, so much of my life does rely on him and turns to him as that crutch or as that strength. And the story I tell in the book is the one day where my health got so bad. So I've had crippling digestive issues for six years. And in the early days when it first started to happen, I was on a photo shoot and my husband was my right-hand person. I'm on this photo shoot and I bought it like I get such bad crippling stomach pains, like unbearable. I can, can't even breathe properly. But of course, I put on a brave face. I tell my team, hey, guys, I'll be back in a second. I didn't really say anything to them. I just d- dash out the door, run upstairs, come in my house um, and I crash to the floor and I'm literally clutching my stomach and I'm taking deep breaths. And I'm just like, all right, just call Tom. I need Tom. Call him. Call him. So I pick up my phone. Now, being business partners and married to my husband, Um, and being business partners with him, we have rules in our relationship of if I call you, you can ignore me. If I call you twice, you can ignore me. If I call you three times, it's your wife calling and I need you. And that means no matter who you're with or what you're doing, and it goes both ways. If I'm interviewing Oprah and my husband calls me three times, sorry, I got a dash. My husband needs me. That's our rule. 
So I'm on the floor, clutching my stomach. I call him once, he doesn't answer. I call him twice, he doesn't answer. I'm like, I need my husband, I need my husband, I need to get up off this floor. I call him three times, he doesn't answer. And so now I'm on the floor, clutching my stomach, the whole team waiting for me. And I'm just repeating in my head, I need my husband. And in that moment, I was like, I don't need him. I want him, but I don't need him. Lisa, you are the hero of your own life. Get the F up and show yourself what you're freaking made of. And girl, I got up off that floor. I went back downstairs. I finished the photo shoot. And that evening, Tom came running to me going, oh my God, I just saw your third call. I can't believe it. Is everything okay? And in that moment, I turned to him and I said, thank you for not answering. He was like, what do you mean? And I said, it was that moment, like I didn't realize what I was actually capable of because I was turning to you so much. And that was that magic moment. Now, here's the thing. When I tell that story and he read the story, he started to cry. He's still heartbroken because his identity is of the man that is always there for his wife. Now, but my identity is I am my own hero and I learned that lesson and so as a partnership I had to say to him babe I know that I I break your heart when I tell you this story and that's an issue we need to work through from your perspective but you know what this story is mine and this was one of those moments where it became so beautifully a beautiful lesson in the hardship that I was my own hero so kind of going back to what you were saying about you've been with your partner for so long and mm-hmm. now you're on this new level where you're like it's my dream I think whether you're splitting up with your partner or not or whether you're staying with them that pivot of realizing that your partner isn't responsible for your dream coming true mm-hmm. is actually I think a beautiful realization and thank god girl you realized it when you're only 40 because you're not even halfway through your life yet <laughs> Yes. Oh, that story. How powerful. Oh, how powerful. I I have to tell you, I have been realizing just in these last few months to that point, how many things I actually know how to do. And then how many things I get to learn how to do. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's what I've been learning. And I mean, Lisa, it's simple things, you know, I bought a new car recently. And the, the revelation that I had not selected my own car in like over 15 years, you know, and and again, grateful that I never had to go to a car dealership and haggle or try to order my own stuff or do any of that because Gerald always took care of that stuff and he took care of everything related with cars. I didn't get gas. I didn't go. I never got my car washed. I never called the people who detailed the car. Like I did nothing Mm -hmm. related to cars. And then we separated and literally I'm on the freeway and it's like, um, hey, do you want to find the nearest gas station? Because you're about to run out of gas. Like the car <laughs> is like, good, hello, ma'am. You cannot just drive forever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get gas. Like, and it may sound trivial, but it literally was a moment. Like when I went to the car dealership and and negotiated for myself and did all those things, it was literally that revelation like, First of all, I can do these things, but I really, I was proud of myself. And people might say, oh, you've done this and you've done that and you've been here and you've been there. 
I was proud of myself the first time I had to put air in the tire that I went and like figured it out. And that probably sounds, I feel like crying, like so trivial, but I, I was the hero in, in that scenario. Like just to know that I could do things on my own because I literally just haven't had to. Girl, thank you. Oh my God, it is not trivial. And I want to just like make sure that we do not dismiss what you just said by saying the word trivial, because this is it. Like if you want to talk about the real stuff and going deep, this is it. It's the small things that we don't even think about that we dismiss as being silly, as being, you know, I know it's trivial. So these are the things that keep us stuck. These are the reasons why. When you ask yourself, so actually one of the things I, um, I put in the book, so there's a chapter called Open the Can of Worms and Embrace the Ick. Now, the can of worms is the hard questions. The ick is all the stuff that comes with it. So, for instance, the question is, am I happy in this marriage? The reason why so many people don't even ask themselves that question is because of all the stuff that comes with it, right? It's like, okay, do we need separate bank accounts? Well, is he willing to go to therapy? Am I willing to go to therapy? If you've got kids, who gets the kids? Who sees the kids on Christmas? Who has the house you know are you gonna die alone like it comes like it unravels so many questions that if you isolate one question may seem trivial like the question may be oh god do i have to learn about cars now now you stack it on with all these other things of all ten thousand other trivial things that you may think is trivial and that is why people don't make the move it is why you don't make the change. You want to talk about the purgatory, the mundane. It's because we dismiss all these small things. And it's in the book what I call slaying the dragons. Like one of the examples where my sister, actually, she was married and she hadn't been married for long. That was that deep rooted feeling that she got married because there was so much pressure because she was Greek and she'd been with the guy for a long time. And it was all these pressure from the family. And so she got married. Then she got divorced, literally within like a year. And one day I remember calling her out of the blue and she seemed so happy. And I was like, what just happened? She goes, I can't believe it. Oh my God. I just mowed the lawn. That was her dragon. And in that moment, she freaking slayed it. Now, while other people may just think it's the freaking lawn, who cares? It's those moments. You times that, like I said, by 10,000, those are the reasons why we get stuck in purgatory of the mundane, in a life that doesn't feel real to us, in a life where we want to get out, but we don't actually ask the hard question. We don't grab the can opener, if you will, and open the can of worms. And so I actually want to absolutely applaud you for telling me about the air in your tires. That is the most beautiful story. And girl, you better repeat that time and time again, because I bet you so many people right now can absolutely relate. Mm. Thank you, friend. Thank you. I don't, I don't even think I, I had shared be. that with anyone yet, you know, maybe with just a girlfriend here or there, but I hadn't even shared it publicly. Um, and, and I needed to hear that. I needed mm. to hear that as like, slaying the dragon like these things you know changing a light bulb Mm -hmm. figuring out the hot water heater like like and it's okay and i learned and Mm -hmm. i've I've figured things out and every time i do i have this little like okay girl like you know (laughs) pull myself up but it it is those things It, it, it really is those things that come together um another thing that you talk about um you know, even in the book is like you say, I can figure shit out. Yeah. <laughs> like you say that and make up your mindset. 
Um, and I can get good at anything. Yeah. That was one of those pivotal moments where I went from being someone that was like, oh no, I can't do that to not do that. And then the idea that I can do anything is like a, like totally fooling myself and not fooling myself at all. So it's part of where I go, okay, if I just believe that I can do anything now, and I write in the book, it's, there's a game I call no BS, what would it actually take? Like, what would it actually take to do this? So now I go, okay, the, the perfect example, I remember once we were watching The Notebook. I was watching it with my husband and there's a oh, scene. that used to be my favorite movie. Oh my God, so I love that movie. There's a scene where like she's playing the piano. <laughs> and I just turned to my husband nonchalantly and I'm like, you know, I'm really bummed that I don't play, the, I can't play the piano. And he's like, babe, isn't it amazing to think that if you want to be the best pianist in the world, you could be? And in that moment, I paused and I was like, yes, yes, it is amazing, but I choose not to. So thanks. And I just moved on. Now, that where does that mindset come from? Once upon a time, I was the person that was like, I can't play the piano, I can't play the piano. And now I play games called No BS, What Would It Take? So let's say, for instance, we're in our 40s, I'm 42. And I sat there and I said, okay, I want to be the best pianist. So to your point, I can do that. I can do anything I set my mind to. So let's say I set my mind to being the best pianist. Great. No BS, what would it actually take to be the best pianist? So you go, okay, the best pianists usually start around five years old. So how many hours behind am I? So I would do the math on how many hours behind I was. Okay, I'm still on that 42. So if I did, let's say 18 hours a day for the next 20 years straight, I never went on vacation. I actually can't take any weekdays off or days off. So I have to do it seven days a week because then that takes me to about 60 years old. And then at 60, I'd probably be at mid-level. So that means I need to put in another 30,000 hours, right? And I would literally calculate. And I would say, this is what it would take like no BS, Lisa, this, and maybe it's like, but I need to buy a professional piano because right now I'm playing on a keyboard and that's not great, but I actually can't afford a piano. So that would mean I'd have to actually sell my house and I'd have to downgrade to a one bedroom, maybe a studio apartment, but I've had the piano in my, right? And you can see where I'm going. So now I played the no BS. What would it actually take if I wanted to do anything I set my mind to? And now the question is, do I want to? That's the power. Do I want to? Is that a life? That seems interesting because now what I've done is I've actually laid out an actual path on how I think. Now, look, I may not ever be the best, but do you think I could get damn good if I practice that much? Of course I could. Anyone could listening. Anyone. But the question is, maybe you don't want to. Mm -hmm. And the question is, maybe that's a horrible life and you don't enjoy it. And that doesn't sound fun to you because you're like, you know what? I don't want to sell my apartment. I don't want to downgrade. Or you know what? I love my partner. I don't I want to see them. I love vacations. Cool amazing now you've decided so now let's say in five or ten years you look back and you're like I wish I played the piano no I didn't because I know what it's going to take to be the best pianist and I've decided not to do it and now there's no wishing now you're never in a position where it's like man I wish I could play the piano you've decided not to mm. so believing you can is the start of just then framing your mind into saying, if I could, what would that actually look like? Because how many of us dismiss it before even starting it? Anything. Mm. And that is so true because, of course, with that example, it could take so many years, right, to become the best. But sometimes we count ourselves out because we are not willing to count the cost, right? right. We count ourselves out and really 
You know, it could be, okay, I can take a few classes. I can do this. I, depending on what it is, exactly. what you choose. For me, you, you know this one, um, cooking is not my ministry. And so we, we've laughed about this before where people go, oh, she can't cook. And it's like, no, I mm -hmm. choose not to cook. If I really wanted to be a better cook, I know that I could practice every week. I know that I could direct hours every other day towards looking up recipes and going to the grocery store and mm -hmm. buying, you know, those ingredients and actually doing the thing. I could do that because I know how to read and I have access to resources and mm -hmm. I have Instacart and I'll, I could do it. I'm not interested because it's not the highest and best use of my time in this season. There may be in this season, which has been basically my whole life. Now, <laughs> there may be a season. <laughs> there may come a season. It might be. <laughs> you know, there might be. Like, there may come a season where I'm actually interested. And when I mm. count the cost, I go, I could do that. And I'm willing to do that. I desire to do that. And therefore, it's not, I wish I could cook because mm -hmm. if I wanted to, I could. Yeah. Right. And so depending on what it is that you're looking at, I love that because sometimes we'll just chop it up to, I can't do something or stay in that. I, I hope, pray, wish, instead of actually coming up with a game plan to make it happen, to get up and make it happen. But sometimes we sensationalize you know what it would actually take because we're not willing to like list it out and think about it like you said and i think for a lot of people who are listening right now what is that that big thing or that small thing that you want to do that you've been saying i wish i could do what would it look like to get the radical confidence to just like okay what would it look like to plan this out is that actually what i want to do and just get started yeah, it's the most freeing thing. It really is. Like, I used to think that that meant something about me while like, I'm incapable. It's like, well, hang on a minute. If I've never sat like, at a piano before, why would I think that I'm amazing at it? You know, and so it's like, we, we don't like that the feeling of the unknown or being like the day on day one, like that, like not sure of yourself. And I actually have pivoted and love day one. And that's what I actually tell myself every time I try something new, like I literally go in saying today's day one, Lisa, give yourself the grace to be that student. When we go to college, right? That first day of film school that I went to film school, I didn't sit there and go, well, I, I'm, I'm Steven Spielberg right here, man. I'm Steven Spielberg. Like, no, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing I've right. never made a movie before all and back then video cameras were like these big freaking clunky things on your shoulder so it's like I was like oh I have no idea what I do I was doing but I didn't feel badly about myself because in context you're saying it's day one of your class so everyone around you knows it's day one your teacher knows it's day one the people around you are all on that day one so there's almost no pressure but when you're entering a new space and you're the maybe the only newbie now you start to feel a certain way that it's because you're you don't know that it means that you're no good or it means that you're inferior no it means to what we were saying about lisa nichols it was like no don't make other people extraordinary they put in more work and I can't remember who said this, but don't compare your day one to my year 10. Yeah. Oh, so good. Oh, friends. So good. Okay. What do you want folks to take away from radical confidence? What, what, 
what's the vision that you have for every woman or person who reads this book? So girl, I'm petrified that the message goes into one, one way in social. So for instance, as I was coming up, me admitting that I didn't want children, me admitting that I wanted to be in business was very hard for me. I got a lot of freaking judgment. And now what I'm hearing is the opposite. When you ask a woman who, let's say, has chosen to stay home and take care of their family, that now they feel like they had to quit, that they're not doing enough. And to me, that is heartbreaking, heartbreaking, because really, I just think, what is the life you want? Like, I don't even say, you read the book, I don't even say in the book, like, in order to create impact, why do I assume everyone wants to create impact? Mm -hmm. That's another pressure we're putting on people. What if that isn't a fulfilling life for someone? What if a fulfilling life is, you know what? I love sitting with my partner or sitting with my friend every night, watching whatever and giggling over this. And that is a life well lived. Amazing. If that is what a life is well lived to you, are you doing it? And if the answer is no, then in Radical Confidence, it gives you the tips and the tools in order to address that you're not living the life you want, to address and acknowledge that you are in the purgatory of the mundane and that you have every right to ask for more. And it gives you the steps and the tactics in order to start that journey, even when you don't have the confidence. I love it. I love it. I mean, it's it's Thank just the perfect tie-in to redefining wealth because that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Like getting to define for yourself what your life looks like, like what feels authentic and completely in alignment for you and having the guts to, to get up and do it. That's why I love your podcast and what you stand for because, you know, me having at the peak of my financial wealth was the day that my health went to utter you know terrible and it hasn't been the same since and so you want to talk about understanding in that moment where you think wealth means one thing and actually it doesn't at all and now it's like man my health if I'm healthy then I'm wealthy like that and so you know, we've spoken many times about how we used to see financial situations mm -hmm. and how that we felt like that dictated our worth um, and how that isn't true and how we need to reposition what we think of success being, you know, and what we think about wealth being. And really that comes to the individual. And so even with success, it's like, I'm not saying go out and build a freaking billion dollar business. I'm saying, are you living the life you want? Are you studying freaking biochemistry? And secretly, you want to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Go do it, right? This book's for you. If you're, like, let's say you've been working up the ladder and you spent the last 20 years at a company and all you've been saying is you want to be the CEO and you realize you freaking hate business. And now what you want to do is stay at home and cook and do what Patrice doesn't do and cook, right? How do you do it? this book is for you. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Oh my gosh. You know, because we really could talk for we hours. Could. Like I just need to come over because it's, <laughs> I know we could just talk for hours. Um, I'm so proud of you, friend. Thank I genuinely you. am. Um, I've already been digging in and I just, I, I got my copy, my physical copy 
um, a little bit before this interview and I still just need to go in and truly devour it. I am just sending you so many positive vibes. Um, I know the book at the time this drops will have just come out uh, just a few days before and you will be out doing all of your things. Um, but Purpose Chasers, you know that we love Lisa you here. Many of you heard me on Women of Impact. I think the interview that I did with you, the first one had several hundred thousand. Oh, go. It's like a 800 or something. And yeah. here's the thing. You have been on the game, but that was virtual because it was with COVID. And you, you um, I'm desperately trying to get you back on in person. I am trying to get you back in person. I know. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. But I know so many people who are listening you love Lisa like I love Lisa and Aww. I believe that radical confidence is just a perfect companion to this idea of redefining wealth. So you know how this goes. We want to support authors when the book is coming out. It makes a big difference. Um, so tag me when you order your book, tag me, tag Lisa. Yeah. Um, let us know that you are building your radical confidence and redefining wealth and making sure that the life that you're building is truly authentic to who you are. Um, Lisa, I love you so much. God, uh, I love you too. I don't think people actually realize how much we love each other. Like to the point where I think my husband may be getting jealous at this point <laughs> or like when we saw each other at the airport. So I know that we've probably said this before, but if I, can I just share the story yeah. quickly? So somehow we were texting each other about something and I was like, oh, I'm at like Atlanta. Uh, what was it? Was it uh, in you Atlanta? Said, you was it the airport? Me, you said, hey, I'm waving at you from the Atlanta oh, airport. Yeah. And I had just turned my phone on because I was landing. And I was like, what? I'm landing at the airport. And it literally was like, well, I'm at this gate. And you're like, well, I'm at this gate. Guys, if you can think about one of those romantic movies where it's slow motion and you sprint and it's like, da, 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 da. that was me and you. We literally, I'm sprinting, we're sprinting to each other. You lift me up. I lift me up. I literally lifted her up in the middle. Like there's that open space where mm. one set of gates separates another set of gates. And then there's a food court and then there's escalators to baggage claim. We're in the middle of all of the people passing and I pick Lisa up and spin her around in the airport. Like it was quite, and I know people were probably looking at us like, what <laughs> is even happening here? What is even happening here? But that's just from day one. Like I was going to say, girl, that's why I wanted to tell the story because these are the moments where once upon a time, I would have been like, well, she's not going to want to run and hug me. And now it's like that, find your people. Anyone listening, find your people. Because yes, there are a million people out there that would think Lisa Billy was crazy running through an airport, um, wanting to get a massive hug and be twirled around by another woman. Some people would have freaking thought I was weird, but not you, girl, not you. You're like my partner in crime. And so- that just bonds us together. And so I'm telling you guys, anyone listening, when you're talking about your mindset and how you show up, find people that accept you for you. Because girl, when I first met you and we just like in like that moment, sparks flew and we just accepted each other. It's been the last like a lifelong friendship. Yeah. And that's what you need like in life when you're facing hardships, when you're not confident, like who do you turn to? Who are your friends? Because, you know, um, it's so important that you can't, no, we can't all do this by ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I adore you, friend. Love I you just too, adore girl. you. I'll twirl you around any day, any airport. You just oh, I'm gonna hold let you me know where we're landing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> hey, you guys, make sure you follow Lisa at, is it Lisa Billu? Lisa Billu, nice and yep. easy, yep. Yep, Lisa Billu, um, in social media, she's, she's so easy to find, okay? You can find her anywhere online, especially check out Women of Impact and grab your copy of Radical Confidence. Um, and let's talk about it. I'm going to be reading this book, especially over these next uh, several weeks here. So if you're reading, highlight, tag me. Let me know what you think. I'll be sharing my thoughts in my Insta stories. So follow me too at Seek Wisdom PCW. And until next time, you guys, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.